0: To stock talk podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Well, Corey, we've been looking forward to this one for a uh, quite a long time. We've been telling our guests about it. I hope they clicked this episode and expecting a good one because it is certainly a good one. Oh man, I'm so excited.
1: I am too, and I've had several people ask me like how it was talking with Temple and everything, and it really. Once we got into the flow of conversation, I wasn't as starstruck as I was when we first started, and so when uh, you sit down and talk to somebody that's been essentially a cornerstone in developing uh, some of the biggest and, and coolest inventions in in the industry is just it's wild, and then to hear her opinion. Uh, about how we do things in the show stock industry is a little bit mind blowing, but at the same time, it makes sense that she thinks the way she does.
0: Yeah, and I was amazed of how precise she was in answering the questions uh, because I don't. I mean, this is a shorter interview, but we packed full as much information as we could, as many questions as we could, and I mean, she answered the questions within five minutes. I thought that was that was amazing cuz you know sometimes people like to to ramble or chat on which is great that's what we love but she answered her question directly and and honestly she answered the uh show livestock questions a lot i don't want to say better but differently than what i was anticipating so uh i think these uh, guests are in for a treat i can't wait for them to hear what we heard uh because like you said there's been a lot of people asking me like man how was that temple interview uh it was awesome and she is a interesting genius. So
1: yes, yes. Well, you know, Trevor, we are, we're at a point now to where I feel like our audience is just, you know, used to great content. Uh, cause I feel like luckily we've been able to have some awesome interviews,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I just keep asking myself, where do we go from here? Yeah. What is and next? Then, and, and then what do we, what do we, we are like, Oh, what do we do after the Dan hook live episode in Des Moines? And then, what do we do after Todd Caldwell, you know, comes out and just blows it up, and then what do we do after, you know, Brad Hook comes yeah. in there and talks about his one-eyed pony <laughs> and taking pictures, and then and then we have Temple Grandin, and it's like, oh boy,
0: yeah. Not to mention our very popular episodes of Ryan Rash and Brandon Callis. I mean, it's it's awesome. The list goes on. Hashtag blessed. Speaking of uh, being blessed, um, you know, we had that really awesome Phoenix show that Mm. I watched. Thank you, Walt Webcasting, because I obviously could not make it down to Arizona, and I was just sitting here at the house uh, watching that very, very cool show. Uh, I know you were busy this weekend, but holy moly, that was awesome. And I got to see it as if I was there, thanks to Walton Webcasting. And folks, um, I hope you did the same. We actually got a couple messages, which was pretty cool. says, hey, I listened to your episode last week, and you said they were going to be at the Phoenix show. And now I'm watching it at the comfort of my house. So they're catching on, man. Walton Webcasting is doing it the best, giving you livestock like you've never seen it before. And don't forget, if you did miss the show... You can just sign up and subscribe and go back to their archives and just watch the show again. It's always there. So, waltonwebcasting.com, subscribe, dig into their archives, get to some hilarious information from our friend. Happens to be a segment that they have, very knowledgeable, in the know. So, they're doing good things over there at Walton Webcasting. Very
1: well-placed little... Sound button there, Jeff. Thank you. Nicely done. Um, So if if anybody's wondering, while I may be just a little bit sniffly today, (laughs) there it is, (laughs) and a little bit just dry voiced, I want to give a big shout out to a friend of the show and his his now bride, uh, Max Look, and Andrea Hunt Look now, uh, and little Aiden, uh, their son, was a blast of a wedding. This past weekend, uh, we all survived, and it was it was one for the books, I will say, probably top five wedding food I've ever been to. Mm. Uh, ha- had some had some real juicy pork loin, uh, little, little cheesy potato kind of action, you know, whatever. So maybe wow, we so. didn't even have cheesy potatoes. Isaac Mersh tried to play it off like the potato salad was cheesy potatoes, so <laughs> could be in my head that we still had that. We all
2: actually, right. didn't. So
1: thank you isaac but no shout out to uh to the the new look family um we're we're excited for you guys and and glad to have you as friends and friends of the show i was luckily uh lucky to be a part of the wedding and let me tell you they they know how to throw a party oh wouldn't doubt it yep so uh you know speaking of throwing parties did you know that Showpig.com has a live event advertising package that is on sale.
0: That's enough to throw a party with.
1: I would say so because, you know, anytime you're gathering a group of people together, it's pretty big.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you do that and you're trying to sell livestock, it's even bigger. So the original price of this live event advertising package on showpig.com is $600. We don't want that. Mm-hmm. They say you don't need to want that. True. We'll just give it to you for $450. Bucks. Woof. How about that? Take $150 off. If you want to increase exposure and interest, get more traffic to your live events, promoted on showpick.com. This package will include a two-week featured banner ad and an email blast. If you don't know what an email blast is, welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> Pretty much if you have an email and you register on showpick.com, You are in the pool of people that could receive an email blast. So if you're interested in getting those people, your information, sign up for this live event advertising package. You get some included and they will blast that people out to more than 18,000 inboxes. Yikes. That's a lot of exposure.
0: Plus what you're going to see on the banner ads on on their website. You're covering both ends of that package.
1: And it's only four hundred and fifty bucks. You can find that in the bed of your truck or their couch cushion or inside your wheel well. I don't know why I'm talking about vehicles a lot. Maybe it's because we have fleets for P- performance on as a sponsor. I'm not sure. And Brad Howard.
0: I mean both of them. Yeah, Brad
1: Ford too. I mean, let's go. Let's talk about getting people to your sale, your event, whatever it is, it on showpig.com. on sale rather than advertising package.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the reason, one of the reasons why everybody clicked on this, this, uh, this show was for one of our huge guests, our dream guests, if you would call it that, Temple Grandin is here with us. Well, not in person, but today you're going to hear from the Temple Grandin, oh my gosh, I've been excited about this for weeks, ever since I got to talk to her on her phone, which I have her phone number now, never thought that would have happened, but thank you Stock Talk Podcast for making that possible. Um... So, Corey, I know you've got uh, a little bit of introductions as you always do, but folks, I hope you enjoy this. Ho- Corey, hit him with it,
1: ladies and gentlemen. On today's show, we have a woman who sat down with McDonald's and helped them promote their business. She has developed, no matter where you're at, no matter what species, a cure for understanding the brains of livestock and how they react. She is had a movie made about her she is just one incredible woman throw in autism throw it out doesn't matter she's the best at what she does ladies and gentlemen without further ado professor at colorado state university temple grander
0: Well, Temple, just to get started, just tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you became interested in the animal production industry.
3: Well, I'm originally from a non-ag background, and I got interested in um, cattle after I visited my aunt's ranch when I was 15 years old. So that brings up the really important point that students get interested in stuff they get exposed to. Now, when I was three and a half years old, I was a severely autistic child with no speech, I fortunately had very good um, education and in some ways um, autism helped me understand cattle behavior because I'm an extreme visual thinker. Everything I think about is a picture. It's not in words.
1: Well, I I would, I would, uh, I would like to to know a little bit more temple about, um, you know, your time at the, at the ranch and, you know, some of those things that you were involved with that really led you to be interested uh, in cattle and learning about their behavior.
3: Well, when I um, first went out to my aunt's ranch, I'd never been um, west of the Mississippi. The west was totally new to me. And at first I was afraid to go to the ranch and my mother gave me a choice. I could go for a week or all summer, ended up staying all summer. We had horses next door. Neighbors had cattle. And then I got introduced to, you know, handling of cattle. They would put them through the squeeze chute and got fascinated with that. Um, Again, that brings up the really important thing of students getting exposed. We're finding that with um, our students here at Colorado State University, you know, that they might try out some new things in the meat industry and some find they really like it. And there are a few that find out they don't like it. It's really important to try a lot of stuff, find out what you like, also find out maybe what you don't like
1: exactly well and it all depends on on your experience as well if, if you get thrown into something that makes you feel uncomfortable uh with an experience you know usually the first impression is always uh the most impactful one and if you're oh. thrown into a, a bad situation it it can be uh you know not a good situation but at the same time uh, if you're putting in yourself in an environment to learn uh you can at least like you said figure out what you do and don't like
3: Well, the other thing is when I started out in Arizona, a number of years later, I started out at Arizona State University for my master's thesis. It seemed obvious to me to uh, get down the chute and see what cattle were seeing. And at the time I did this, I didn't know that other people weren't visual thinkers. So it's obvious that maybe the cattle were spooking in a reflection on a truck. So this brings up another important thing. When it comes to show cattle, I have people say, oh, my steer was fine at home, and he went crazy and ran down the midway. What people forget is there's a lot of new things that are at a show you don't have at home, like flags, bikes, and balloons, Uh and you need to get your steer used to these things before you go to a show.
0: So what are some of the uh, tactics or practices that maybe you would suggest for some of these uh, show livestock families listening <laughs> to, to help those animals understand maybe foreign objects like
3: that? Well, let's start off with flags. If your steers in a large pen or pasture, you could just tie flags to the fence and let the steer voluntarily approach. Don't shove it in his face.
2: Mm.
3: Also, bicycles are scary because they sneak up on you. So You start out just letting the steer a sniff a bike. Then you would walk it around, and then you would slowly ride it. But since the animal is a visual thinker, uh, a, a common object can look like something different if it's viewed from another angle. So you want to make sure you, they look, see a whole lot of different things. Um, and one of the reasons why flags can be scary is because they, they move in an erratic manner. And there was some research done with horses in Germany by Leonor and Fent. And they found that if you train a horse to tolerate a blue and white umbrella suddenly opening, that doesn't transfer to flags or tarpaulin. And some of this is discussed further in my book, um, Animals in Translation.
1: That's a really interesting uh, study. You you would never, uh, at least I wouldn't um, because I I don't think that way. Uh, You wouldn't think that there would be a significant difference between uh, a flag versus a, uh, an umbrella. Yeah. And so.
3: Well, the horse doesn't agree with that. And, <laughs> exactly. And, and exactly. And we're working on a study right now. We're taking a child's play set, big plastic play set. And when you rotate that play set 90 degrees, the horse treats it like a new object.
0: Huh. Yeah. Huh.
3: That's Because crazy. it looks different. At, well, we in fact, we deliberately chose a play set that looked really different when rotated. But, a, but you would never do that because you know it's a play set.
1: Right. Right. Uh, what's, what about, uh, um, you know, audible things, um, you know, loud noises. I mean, yes. uh, things crashing, stuff like that. What's, uh, what's some of the studies? Well, the loudspeaker
3: loud yeah. and I had a chance to go to a very big fancy horse sale. And when these horses got up around the loudspeaker and the auctioneer, I can just see their whites, their eyes. And then if your animal starts doing a lot of poop, like if a horse, especially if he poos a um, watery poo, it's because you've scared the poo out of him. huh. And so another thing you could do is get your animal accustomed to some of that noise. You could play some recordings of the auctioneer quietly and then gradually, you know, get it louder. Uh, but some of the things that make the animal go really berserk uh, tend to be visual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just because they don't they've never seen it before. It can be a whole whole new ball game. in a fair or a, a festival. That's <laughs> that's kind of where everything happens. <laughs>
1: Would you like to have 10% off any purchase you've ever made with Fleece Performance? Oh, Well, you have that chance if you just enter promo code STOCKTALK. Ladies and gentlemen, Fleece Performance Engineering is a leader in diesel performance. Check out their complete lineup of drop-in Cheetah turbochargers, power flow lift pumps, injection pumps, and more for your Cummins, Duramax, or Powerstroke. Don't be driving any little pedal tractor around. Get yourself a nice diesel truck from Brad Howe Ford and then take it to Fleece Performance to get that thing tuned up. Learn more about their great products at fleeceperformance.com or visit their new facility, which is gigantic, in Pittsburgh, Indiana, just west of Indianapolis on I-74. Again, that's promo code STOCKTALK for 10% off your entire purchase with Fleece Performance Engineering.
0: I want to turn topics just a little bit and talk about uh, the movie that was made uh, about okay, your life. Fine. If you don't care to talk about that, we, Corey and no, I. I'll be
3: fine. And I'll be talking about the movie. And one of the things, the movie showed very accurately how my visual thinking works.
0: Yeah. All... That was
3: accurate. And it also showed um, all the projects I had built.
0: Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of the movie. Matter of fact, we Corey and I both went to Blackhawk College there, and one of the the very first course is to watch that movie, and that teaches us to you know think like an animal, and and as you kind of yeah. uh, thought thought like that also. So, uh, just a couple of big big items. You said it was pretty accurate. Were bull testicles really thrown on your vehicle like that movie suggests? Uh,
3: yes, they were. Wow. And the. And the people that were the nastiest to me were the foreman level. You know, you might be a big feed yard or a big ranch. And it wasn't the owners or the bosses. It was that layer of management just below the foreman level. That's where almost all the trouble was. And back in the 70s, being a girl in a man's industry was a much bigger obstacle than autism ever was.
1: Uh, hmm. So my, my, the cool. Well, really, the most interesting thing about that movie to me was was those um, objects that you built uh, at a young age, even just to help yourself adjust to the situation that you were in, especially, you know, there at the ranch where you kind of built yourself uh, your own squeeze chute. I mean, was yeah, that I I accurate? Yeah, I copied the squeeze
3: chute. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's accurate. It was, it was built off the original drawings. All huh. the projects are accurate. The dip bat, the squeeze machine, the optical illusion room. Um, I actually, and the gate that you could open from your car. I actually did all those projects. I did that gate when I was 15.
0: Wow. That's that's so cool. So I've also heard that you were on set of the making of that movie. Is that true?
3: Yes. I was there for two and a half days and I, well, the thing I spent the most time on was making sure that the, uh, dip fat was going to be right because those were real dip fats, of course, minus chemicals. Right. And I had to make sure that all my anti-drowning devices were in place. So I was down there for an entire day working with their welders to make sure it was right.
1: <laughs> That's cool. What's it like to be on the set of a of a film like that?
3: It was very very exciting. But I've th- I've spent a lot of time being on construction sites, and it's like a much fancier construction site. Oh, you should have seen the food. It wasn't any you know garbage wagon. It was a five star restaurant, uh, but. Everybody on that site's a freelancer. And um, um, and I talked to some of the people about how they got into different fields. they like making scenery. And a lot of it just sort of was backdoor. They started helping out a friend. And then next thing you know, they're making scenery for the movies.
2: Huh.
3: There were a lot of people there that I think might have been on the autism spectrum. And when I was out working on construction sites in the meat industry and for corrals, I worked with a lot of super skilled tradespeople that I know were you ADHD or mildly autistic or dyslexic. And we've got some big problems right now. Those people are not getting replaced, and we've got a gigantic shortage of skilled trades.
0: Good topic to bring up, too, as well, yeah. And did you work closely with uh, uh, Claire Danes, the main uh, actress in that role, to kind of learn your personality back then, or, or how was that exchange?
3: Well, I spent about half a day with her, but she spent many hours with old videos. I spent the most time with Emily Gerson Sainz, the producer, and Mick Jackson, the director, and Christopher Munger, the writer. And um, uh, Emily Gerson Sainz, the mother of a severely autistic child, she wanted this movie to be right. And that brings up the, the whole thing that when you have the right team of people, then things work.
1: Huh. I think that goes goes to, without saying for a lot of uh, pieces of it. Not even, not even just the livestock industry, but uh, yeah. the world in general. If you have the right pieces, well, in place. that's right. Yep. Um, so, so Temple, it's it's really cool that uh, we have you on the show, and you know, obviously, your background in the industry stems a lot off of uh, cattle production and meat science, and
2: um, that's that correct. sort of thing. Yep. Um,
1: but you know, Trevor and I's uh, podcast here is is centralized around show stock. And uh, we would love to hear your opinion about the the show stock industry and and what values you think it offers and and some things that we can improve on.
3: Well, I really like having kids raise animals. And, of course, I'd recommend that a smaller uh, child that probably do a lion or one of the smaller animals first. Uh, But it teaches responsibility. I think this is really important. Now, on the other hand, and I'm going to try to say this really diplomatically, there's some show stock where they're just bred for looks and they've got real poor leg conformation. I would actually like to see a class in the show where they, the students just go out to the fairgrounds and a local feed lot has brought in a bunch of just regular, really good commercial uh, feeder calves and the kids draw lots and pick them and raise a standard commercial pig or lamb or, or uh, feeder calf.
1: That would be interesting, um, you know, and it's it's funny you bring up, bring up the, you know, some of these livestock have been bred specifically uh, to be shown. And, and, you know, outside of that, they don't really have much real world value. Well, and I that's think the
3: problem. And, and I've seen <laughs> steers at shows with a leg post-legged that if they were bulls, if I actually kept one of those as a bull, he'd probably be crippled by the time he's four or five years old.
2: Yep. Simply yep. due
3: to leg confirmation. And I've got problems with that. And, and uh, uh, you know, when you're breeding, breeding uh, animals like a cow, you're going to keep on the range. I've got to have good feet and legs or she's not going to last very long.
0: Uh-huh. Exactly. I think well, sometimes it can be outweighed about the, the appearance of that animal and we've got to make sure we keep them. Uh, right in their structure their feet and legs because if particularly if they are females and they're breeding stock they have to be valuable in in that same regard and you know we can get a little left field at times and i'll be the first to admit with a with the uh, market animals uh, where we can maybe accept too much of that if there is a structural concern here there so uh,
3: well one of the things that would level the playing field i mean here in colorado we've got a number of large feed yards they just brought, you know, um, 50 or 60 feeder calves out, nice ones, and, if it, and then the kids draw lots and, and pick. Another thing I'm concerned about in the breeding industry is feet and legs, and I was looking at a cattle magazine the other day. I'm not going to say which one, but I was appalled at the amount of fake photoshopped grass that was on him up to his belly, this was bulls, mm. and I couldn't see his feet. And uh, one of my students, Marcy Franks, did a little master's thesis where she looked at three major semen websites and only 18 or 19 percent of the bulls had completely visible feet and legs. Uh, Just the other. I mean, I can't believe looking at that photoshopped grass. I said, come on now, get him out of the photoshopped grass. I want to see his feet and legs.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Temple, it's funny you bring this up because, its you know, from from our perspective, uh, Trevor and I, I mean, we we have been trained um, and, and have a desire just to study structure in animals first, no matter what species it is. And and even in the show business, uh, you know, that's the number one thing, you know, we strive to look for. And I know a lot of people do. But at the same well, time, I know.
3: I've seen a lot of cattle and, they, and then I just uh, I was appalled. There was a picture of a nice, big, huge bull. Uh, it looked like it had a little bit of indicus blood in him. And they not a photoshopped grass up to his belly that somebody had put on with editing software, which is disgusting. I couldn't see his legs hardly at all.
1: Mm. Right, right. Well, if he's got and, nice
3: legs, well, why are you putting, uh, making grass on him with Photoshop? Right,
1: exactly, exactly. Well, and that's you know those are some of the things in in our industry that we. We've got to make sure we're cutting out uh, because. Well, no, I've used up magazines
3: I looked at just the other day. I'm not going to name them, but this is stuff I've looked at in the last week, and I was getting pretty disgusted. This one big huge bull, and he was on a full page ad, and somebody went crazy with um, photo editing software with grass.
1: Hmm. Hate to see that. Yeah, <laughs> I can see well, why I it's frustrating to see it too.
3: But unfortunately, uh, uh, it, it you know, it, no, we need to be doing feet and legs because the problem is if you select just for. Harvest rates—you tend to lose feet and legs, mm-hmm. and the pig industry made that mistake back in the late '80s when the new hybrids came in, and you just had a, they wanted rapid gain, gigantic loin, and thin back like fat, and you ended up with half your market hogs lame, and it was structural uh, feet and legs. And then Angus started going down that path, and fortunately, the Angus Association started putting in epts for feet and legs, which I think is a really feet and leg structure, which I think is huh. a really good thing.
0: Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you bet. New sponsor alert happens to be Murray State University Swine Unit for a personalized real world learning community to secure valuable internships and career networking opportunities that prepare students for a lifetime of success. Murray State University gets you where you want to go. Engage one on one with faculty. In their labs or work on one of their five teaching farms, including the student led and operated Show Pig facility. The swine lab and Show Pig operation in Murray State houses 30 sows dedicated exclusively to purebred and crossbred Show Pig production. But you won't find a farm manager there. Instead, they employ a team of student leaders who oversee a piece of the farm's genetics, breeding, farrowing, marketing, sales management, and boar stud operations. Classes are offered in swine science, swine production, and individual swine practicums. Follow them on Instagram or Facebook at MSU Pigs, or visit their website, murraystate.edu slash swineunit. Murray State University, get an education, not just a degree. Um... I guess uh, we can transition to, a, to another topic. Lots of good okay, good, fine. good points there. So uh, we were wanting to know, you go all over the world. You actually just got back from Brazil, you said, uh, that's and, sp- right. and speak to uh, large audiences. Now, typically, if people understand autism, that's a very uncomfortable environment. So my question to you, Temple, is what was the turning point in your life where you were able to speak in front of large groups, although it is very uncomfortable for you?
3: Well, my very first uh, lecture I did in graduate school, I panicked and walked out. <laughs> and one of the secrets I found was to have really good slides. And when I started out with my cattle handling talk, I'd talk. So I got down in the chutes and I took all these fabulous slides showing things that made cattle balk. And so if you panic, you just go to the next slide and that would uh, jog my memory. And, I'm a, and I was a good photographer, so I had really cool slides that other people didn't have. And that really helped. And I tell my students today, when they're doing their talks for the animal science meeting make sure you've got really good slides and if you panic the worst thing will happen is you read your slides it's not the end of the world
2: mm. yeah. yeah i
3: mean i eventually want to get you not doing that but if you panic in your first 15 minute presentation of your paper at scientific meeting uh, don't sweat it just read the slides huh. and make sure they're good slides
0: <laughs> yeah right exactly no, oh, that's that's always fascinating because I mean, it, no matter if you're—I uh, don't care who you are—being in front of a crowd is is a little nerve wracking, uh, and even if you're in in the middle of a ring with a microphone and you don't have access to slides or whatever, uh, you you kind of learn and adapt and cope to those mechanisms just to kind of get through a set of reasons or talk to the audience or.
3: But you, but you have a you have the next year to look
0: at. Yes, exactly. That's
3: sort of like going to the next slide.
0: Yeah. Yep, you're exactly right. Yeah, it it would
3: be the it would be the live version of the same thing.
0: Yep. You betcha.
1: Well, let's dive into a little topics from a hat brought to you by Fierce Threads. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The only high-quality screen printing and embroidery that we use here at Stock Talk is done by Fierce Threads. Put your business success at the forefront. and Upgrade your apparel Today, get those promotional items ready to rock and roll for the spring or in the fall. Fear Starts has got your back, your number one source for high-quality screen printing. Uh, so, Temple, we, we had a, a middle school agriculture teacher message us uh, from Indiana. Uh, her okay. name is Barbie, and uh, you know she says she, she interacts a lot with uh, the inner-city kids that attend their school. Um, you know, and those are the type of kids that think that chocolate milk come from comes from brown cows, uh, and and wow. so you know she she wants to know what's the most important thing that educators can do to teach kids about ag.
3: First of all, I just show them a lot of videos of ag on how things work. This is the reason why I worked with the North American Meat Institute on making the glass walls videos on meatpacking plants. You just show it. So I'd get videos of dairies and. And I would show it, um, show them that both um, white, uh, black and white cows and brown cows all give white milk, just by sh- showing those really, really good videos would be basically what I would do. So they find out what actually happens.
1: Huh. Now, on the flip side of that, there are some very negative videos out there. Uh, oh yes, uh, there's by... some
3: awful videos out. Yes,
1: there. yes, that 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 show um, you know the bad parts of our industry, and we all know that. Uh, there are bad eggs out there, but there's not as many as there are. That's not the whole
3: industry. I would would show them them some videos of, you know, let's say it's dairy. This is how it's done right, Mm -hmm. and you show those videos. And unfortunately, what I have found is when it comes to training people to handle cattle, there's about 20% of people, if you teach them, they can become superb, really wonderful stock people. They have the knack. And then there's others I have to constantly supervise, and we have to make sure we don't overwork and understaff. And that's about 10% of people that like to be mean to animals and they should not be handling mm-hmm. There's some things I've learned in 45 years. Yeah.
0: And mm-hmm. that's the... <laughs> and they ought to be
3: doing something else. They could be driving the tractor, but not handling the animals.
0: That's the subject of a lot of those videos are those people who just do not belong anywhere near livestock because their patients wear thin or they have temper issues. And... Yeah, that's right. And they happen to be caught on film and then the world has to see... Uh, a very bad egg that none of us, even in the livestock industry, agree with, so um
3: well, no, and the other thing I think we have to do in them is is uh, you know the stockmanship a really good stock person doesn't get the pay and the professional um uh, uh, might say uh, validation that they should be getting to be a good stockman sh- stockman is or stock lady is a really skilled job. And what I have found too many times, people want the magical thing more than they want the management. Okay, we'll buy the new milking parlor or buy the new cattle handling facility. That's going to automatically make everything wonderful, but it doesn't. You've got to have the management to go along with it.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, speaking of cattle handling facilities, uh, we had one of our listeners uh, submit uh, kind of an interesting topic of discussion. Uh, you know, she was a part of the the Oklahoma State University ATI program. Uh, where you uh, help design and, and build uh, their facility. It's a Ohio State. Okay. Ohio, Ohio State. State, sorry. Ohio, oh, State. Ohio yes.
3: State, yes. Yes. Yep. Uh,
1: so tell us a little bit about that process and, and some of the things that you've been involved with.
3: Well, I've been involved with a number of, of universities. And the first thing we you know work on and get them to plan something else. One of the big mistakes that gets made at universities is I have an architect come in and they just buy portable panels. And if you... you you can actually build something from scratch, welding it, that'd be better than portable panels. Now, there's a place for portable panels. You know, people living on rented land and stuff like that. But the first thing you do with the university is you sit down with them and help them, uh, help them uh, design, you know, design the facility and, and, you know, done it with a number of places. Sometimes you have a remodel job where you have to design around uh, stuff that already exists that you can't move.
1: So, will you tailor um, the design? You know, obviously, depending on what kind of facility you're working with and and the space that you have. But what what kind of thought process do you go through um, to put that together? Do you put yourself in the position of the animal?
3: Well, uh, normally, on designing animal animal facilities, you've got new construction—that's the easy stuff. But what gets really challenging is when you have to design something around a lot of what I call site restrictions. Like I did this all the time with the meatpacking plant. So I designed the front end of all the large Cargill plants. And you want to see some of that stuff work? You can look up beef plant video tour with Temple Grandin. There's lots of information on my website, uh, grandin.com. So the first thing I do is I map out things I cannot move, like the water tower. Uh, there's a pipe running under the ground. I can't build over that, the road. And then we start going through and deciding, well, this is old shed. You could tear it out. And so then I draw a drawing of all the things I have to design around I can't change. And that can get very complicated in a meatpacking plant. And I saw a project um, where uh, they didn't uh, look at their site restrictions first. This was a commercial construction project. Talk about gigantic mess. Uh, <laughs> it was gigantic mess. Because when they first worked on designing the job, they, they, didn't, they didn't have the right type of concrete to support the stuff they wanted to build. And they should have known that before they ever started you see, what I always would map out my site restrictions, and I'd know I'd have to stay a certain amount of feet away from the railroad, and, you know, there's and you draw that on the drawing.
0: Yeah, and uh, I've actually, my fiance Emily, she uh, went to uh, Colorado State there for a semester, and, and she always talks about uh, the project uh, that you have implemented in your, your course that uh, they kind of go That's through. in the
3: scale drawing.
0: Yes, uh, explain a little bit about that. I think it's very interesting.
3: What I'm finding now is I'm getting students in my class that have never used a scale ruler or even used a regular ruler, for that matter. And ever since I started my class, which is now just about 30 years ago, I've had the students draw a scale drawing of a cattle handling facility. And I've had some students say, well, why would this be important to learn? And I go, well, if you ever remodel your kitchen, it's a really good skill to know how to draw a drawing to scale. You know, if you're involved with designing anything that's an important skill to have. And I find I have to explain more to the why this might be something important to do. Another project to have my students do is to pick out a narrow subject on animal behavior, any kind of animal, and pick me eight journal articles from four different databases. So they learn how to use scientific databases, such as Google Scholar, PubMed, Science Direct, and Web of Science. And I'm finding that well, for a third of the students, this is pretty easy, but for another third of the students, they've never done that. For they've never done this basic library researching project online. They didn't even know academic databases existed. <laughs> well, so they're going to learn a lot about cattle handling. But they're also going to learn two other skills they can take with them when they leave, even if they don't stay in the cattle industry.
1: Right. Right. Um, Temple has, uh, this is a little different question here, but ha, so you grew up w- with your main passion being, uh, in, in the cattle industry, but ha, has your travels in, in the course of your time, uh, dealing with animals, have you kind of grown any other passions for other species?
3: Well, I've done a lot of other stuff. I've done other species. I've done bison. I've done pigs. I've done some things with sheep. Uh, I've done, I worked on implementing McDonald's animal welfare programs about 20 years ago Figured out a very simple scoring system for evaluating cattle and pig slaughter plants. Um, I came up with the idea of a lameness scoring of chickens and broken wing scoring for chickens. And, uh, you know, broken wing scoring is a measure of handling. Figuring out this very simple metrics for evaluating welfare using simple outcome-based measures. And so I've actually worked at a lot of different a lot of different things. And yes, uh, chickens are not cattle. But there's a lot of things that are similar.
1: Uh-huh. That's interesting. I always, I've always wondered that because, um, you know, fr- from the outside, you always see your work that you've done with, with the, in, within the cattle industry. And uh, obviously, those other species have a, have a huge impact on, yeah. on uh, what you've done as well. So very interesting.
3: And another. No, no, it's been real interesting.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, another thing that Corey and I have uh, been talking about here lately is some of the uh, negative comments that are being made about the animal agriculture industry, uh, that being the, the opposing side being vegan di- diets and, and people trying to cut out meat. Um, So we're curious to know what's your opinion on uh, what we can do as an animal production industry to combat that push and maybe how do we explain that? I mean, we've had many guests on here that kind of go through that same question, but uh, it seems more and more there's more companies, more uh, restaurants going meatless or doing fake meat, I like to call it. So what's your opinion in this big vegan push?
3: Well, um, monocultures of soybeans are not very good either. You know, it, it uh, monocultures of anything are not very good. And I think one of the things we've got to do, and I've been thinking a lot about it, the animal welfare issues with livestock, I can fix that. That's actually the easy stuff. But I've been doing a lot of deep thinking about sustainability. And I've started learning little baby amounts of agronomy, very small amounts. And I went to a seminar we had in our own animal science department where I learned from an agronomist who they invited. that The very best uh, crop land in the, in the U.S., in Iowa and Illinois, was created by herds of grazing bison. And now you've got some really innovative people in North Dakota that are grazing cattle on cover crops. And then that's rotated with regular conventional crops, you know, like wheat or soy or some other conventional crops. And I think this is something we've got to start doing. The animals are part of the land let's start using them to make the land better. You can take cattle or other grazing animals and you can use them to improve land or you can wreck land with livestock. But if you do it right, you can sequester carbon and you can actually improve land. And I've been reading a lot of papers on that. That's getting me something I'm getting really super interested in, uh, integrating crops and livestock. Now, unfortunately, we've got economic incentives today to do monocultures. And so then the farmer doesn't really have much choice because he gets paid a whole lot more if he does the monoculture, right? But uh, in the long run, uh, you're, I mean, I was really pleased with some of the stuff I learned about North Dakota. I went to a fabulous seminar last year on cover crops, and you have to graze them to make them pay. You also have to be, have, feed them just right too, so your cattle don't get sick on them. Huh. But get, but when I found out that the land in Iowa and Illinois had been created by Hertz of grazing bison that seminar gigantic light went on in my head. And this is a good example of going cross discipline, you know, that our animal science department had invited an agromina on a crop person to come in and talk to us. And I think that was really a good thing. Uh
1: Yeah. So what do you, what would you say? Uh, and this is what I struggle with temple and I'd like some advice on this is, you know, the amount of (laughs) things that we see online, um, in videos, and, and even in person, these, uh, what I would think are ridiculous, Um, you know, namely, um, you know, groups like PETA uh, out there just absolutely destroying the image of our industry, uh, you know.
3: Well, and I think the industry's got to get out there and show how they're doing stuff right. You know, let me give an example where the industry failed to communicate colossal way. When I wrote my book animals in translation, I severely criticized really nasty, aggressive boiler breeder roosters, that would rip up the hens. They had just been bred for fertility. And it was just totally disgusting. And two years ago, I went to a broiler breeder colony for auditor training, and the problem with the rooster had been corrected. And it would have been corrected with, um, with uh, genetic selection. And the thing that was so bad is that um, they hadn't written anything up about it. You know, they, they fixed something, but they never told anybody about it.
0: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We've had that, that topic of discussion also, you know, where there's so many great individuals who improve, uh, the way we use animals in agriculture and, and, you know, the welfare practices, obviously you've implemented a lot of those, but, Nobody ever really tells people about it. And Corey said it a couple of times. When we do tell somebody about it, they're the ones that already know. We're kind of preaching to the choir, per se, and we never take time out of our, our day to do that. So,
3: you know. Well, the thing that's so bad about the chicken thing, see, another thing that's been corrected has been some of the leg problems in fast growing broilers. And some of the animal activist groups want the chicken industry to go to slower growing birds. Now, that's just horrendous on feed conversion because you're going to take a 20% more feed. Uh, but the activists are looking at all the old literature. But unfortunately, there's no new scientific literature showing it to fix the rooster and they fixed some of the leg problems. Hmm. Now, that's really short-sighted of the industry to not publish, get scientific studies published, showing that they fixed something.
1: Hmm. Exactly.
3: That is not smart.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and what's so good, This is, and this is the number one reason that I love the show stock industry, is we are giving kids an opportunity to grow up and learn and be involved. Like you said, Temple, every kid should have a chance to raise livestock.
3: Well, oh, I think thing, having kids raise animals is really good. And yes. a, one of the reasons I like my idea of just using some regular commercial feed, feedlot cattle is that that's, that's the real commercial animal.
1: Right. Um, and, you know, to your point of we've, we've got to do a better job at showing the good in the industry. Um, that's why I think these shows are so important is so folks from the outside can come and watch a show and see a, you know, eight or nine year old kid, um, you know, work working and interacting with livestock. And well, I, don't I think,
3: think that's, I think it's a good thing because one of the problems we got today with young children. Is they're growing up today and they're totally separated from the world of the practical. Mm. They don't cook, sew, woodwork, do art, play a musical instrument. And in a lot of the talks I give to educators, I talk about the need to get uh, hands on classes back into the schools. They teach practical problem solving. One of the big problems we've got today with a lot of policy, it's all become way too abstract.
0: Right. Yes. It's,
3: um, and, and you see, and they expect things to be perfect. And in the practical world, you can make something really good, but you can never make it perfect.
0: Right. Yeah. And I always say, too, you know, like going back to the show livestock topic is, although it makes up a very, very small portion of the meat consumed within the industry, it's probably one of the most visible. Um, so, you know, Absolutely. you've got to emphasize, you know, the animal welfare practices, the the management of those animals, uh, because that parlays very quickly. Uh, to the next generation, the way they were brought up of how to interact with well, animals that's right. goes that's right, right, right down the road. You know, their kids in the future. However, they are, you know, when things don't go right, that's when you really understand what happens. If you're an angry person, you don't belong in the barn. You don't belong around that livestock. But if you teach them patience, no, you don't. If you teach patience, and, uh, and, that goes far and away.
3: the other thing is on training your calf. We need to make sure that they're taking the time to train their calf and don't try to do it. Two days before the show, you're going right. to spend time with your calf.
0: Yeah, or the parents do it for them, and it's pretty obvious when no, they, they no, get in the ring. That's not the point. Yeah.
3: That's not the point.
0: Exactly. Quick interruption, folks. Don't forget, it is still Stocktober. Make sure you go on StockTalk Podcast.com at checkout, type in Stocktober, S T O C K T O B E R, and get 20% off all t shirts. We also have a fresh new batch of hats that are all up for sale at stocktalk-podcast.com. Hurry to the store now. Click the link in the description of this episode and get your merch. Social Smash
1: No surprise here, folks. Brought to you by Brad Hal, Ford. If you get into a fender bender, maybe you happen to smash your vehicle. Visit Brad Howe Ford in Kokomo, Indiana, ladies and gentle ladies and men. It's time to upgrade to a new truck, cruise into that next show. You can even color match it to your rig if you want. doesn't matter. Brad Howe Ford has award-winning customer service that will lead you in the right direction on your next vehicle purchase. So, Temple, this this brings me uh, to another thought, and... And it's something that, um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about earlier, um, but I'd also like your take on the entire industries is maybe some of your pet peeves, things that bother you, um, not just with with showing livestock, but also with other things involved in the industry. And uh, I'd like to maybe get some of your One thoughts of my on that.
3: big concerns is pushing the biology of animals too hard. And then you get into problems. Now, you can even do it with dogs on appearance traits, like the bulldog can't breed, it can't walk, can't have its babies naturally. But pushing animals just for more and more and more production. And then there's a point where the dairy cow doesn't breed very well. I'm um, maybe going to lose hardiness, but we need to start looking at what's optimal, not maximum. Now, the way I like to visualize genetic selection is kind of imagine an animal's a country and I have a national budget. Now, if I put that whole national budget into meat, milk, or eggs, then I'm going to shortchange infrastructure. That's where the leg conformation issues come in. I'm going to start having heart problems, like high altitude sickness, for example, in cattle has come down to lower elevations, and repro gets messed up. And the other thing I get worried about is my military, which is the immune system, that may get shortchanged because your wild-type animals often are extremely hardy and have a really, really strong immune function but they're not very productive. So we got to start looking at balance on this. And the thing is, is, is people often don't see it. You know, there's some people out there feeding such high grain diets that it's bad or when raising cattle on concrete and they're getting swollen joints. Um, you know, there's a point where you can't push the system anymore and mm-hmm. people have a hard time seeing that optimum level.
1: <laughs> I, lo- I love that take. That's it's so relevant because, Even in the show the show stock industry, I mean that's and I don't know if we push genetics more in the show stock industry or not, but uh, there's a very uh, you know if the industry crosses over anywhere, that's it as far as pushing pushing for the biggest, the fastest growing, the best. Well, the problem uh, know, the fastest
3: growing, you know, in cattle we have you know I've been in this industry 45 years and late stage deaths in fed feedlot cattle where they died like a week before slaughter. That all just about almost never happened.
2: Mm. Yeah. You know,
3: now it's, uh, now you, can, you can get into what I call bad becoming normal. You see, you've oh, got geez. someone young coming into the industry now.
0: So, um, again, this, we're kind of jumping on, over on topics, okay. but I'm curious to know, of all the places that you spoke at or the events that you've done, what's maybe your f- favorite or most memorable uh, event that you've uh, spoke at?
3: You that's a hard thing to say, because I like different events for different reasons. Yeah, And I always like one thing. I always like talking to students because they're the future and uh, eager, enthusiastic students. I find that they're some of the, those are the people that I really want to talk to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um, I want to I want to learn more about this. Uh, this McDonald's project you did. You said okay. about 20 years ago, uh,
3: how it was did, about how 20 did... years ago. And I was hired to implement their animal welfare (coughs) auditing program. A lot of my equipment was out in the meat industry, in the pork and beef slaughter plants. A lot of it not very well maintained, not operated very well. So I came up with five simple measures. Percent stunned on the first shot, percent dead on the rail, vocalization score during handling, electric prod score, and falling down. And by measuring these five critical control points, and holding the plants to it, like they had to get falling down to under 1%, localization to 3% or less. Uh, I saw this tremendous change. You had a big customer enforce this. And the thing that was really good was out of 75 plants on that approved supplier list, only three had to build something expensive. Everybody wow. else did it with inexpensive things like non-slip flooring, lighting, cattle get scared of the dark. You might be interested in Bob Langert's book, The Battle to Do Good by Bob Langert. He is the person at McDonald's that I worked for. And I would take the executives out on their first trips to farms and slaughter plants. And it was just like that show, Undercover
2: Boss.
1: (laughs) And
3: They saw some things going wrong and they're going, oh, whoa, there's some stuff we need to fix here.
1: Wow. That's cool.
3: And I have a whole lot of journal articles on this. It's written up in more detail in my book on Animals Make Us Human. And I've got lots of information on Grandin.com, plus um, journal articles I've written in the academic uh, journals.
0: Wow. Well, I uh, I've read a bunch uh, about that, and I think that those listening uh, make sure you you dig in a little deeper and and sh- and use that knowledge that Temple has has put out there. So, uh, Temple, we ask every single one of our guests on the show uh, we leave them with one last question, and that question being, where do you see the livestock industry in five years
3: well i'd like to see a lot more getting crops and cattle together and i'm um, and already i'm seeing different crops i was just in illinois recently and i was happy to see some a few other things there besides corn and, and, um, and soybeans so gradually people are starting to get into you know using some of the cover crops i think this is stuff we've got to do to be truly uh, sustainable And there's some practices we're going to have to change. And there's other things you need to defend. Um, (laughs) And the young people are going to be the leaders of tomorrow.
1: That's right. Well, Temple, I tell you what, it's been uh, a real uh, pleasure and and an honor getting to know you and and discuss some of these things that we had some interest in getting your uh, ideas and, and information on.
0: So really appreciate you joining the show.
3: Okay, well, I'm really uh, glad I was able to be on your podcast, and thank you very, very much for having
0: me. Well, Temple, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate it.
3: Okay, thank you so much.
0: Yep, bye. All right.
3: Okay, yeah, bye.
0: Well, I tell you what, folks, that was uh, quite the experience and the honor to talk to one of my biggest role models in the livestock industry. I know she shares a bunch of different viewpoints on the show livestock industry but man i thought it was valuable uh that we get to hear the other side of that story so uh we did it a little differently to end it since it was on a phone call and she was quite busy so uh guys to close out obviously follow us on social media facebook instagram twitter and snapchat and search stock talk podcast it would help us out a bunch if you give us a five star rating and give us a review we like to hear what you're thinking share comment talk to us We love to hear from you guys. As always, go to stocktalk-podcast.com to hear more about it and get your merch if you want it. We love you guys so much. This has been another edition of Stock Talk.